0: Good afternoon, Rob Port. Here on the Rob Rob Port on the Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Getting a little repetitive there. A little redundant, Natil. There are worse things to be than a little redundant. I suppose. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329 is the toll-free number if you want to join the program. We've got a busy show today. In a moment, we're going to be talking with State Representative Roscoe Striley. He is a Republican from Minot. And uh, Governor Doug Burgum issued, he vetoed parts of nine bills today. And Representative Striley's not happy with some of those vetoes. We're going to talk with him about that in just a moment. Also joining us here at uh, 135, congressman kevin kramer because it's wednesday it's our usual open phone segment we'll talk with him about that and one thing i want to there's all sorts of stuff going off and on in washington dc i want to ask about these airline hearings because as bad as that thing with with united airlines and everything was does congress really need to get involved in this or is this something we could probably solve without a bunch of grandstanding politicians we'll talk with congressman kramer about that at 135 uh, again, call in with your comments or questions, 701-293-9000, or email talk at WDAY.com. Now let's uh, go to Representative Stryley. Roscoe, what's up?
1: Hey, Rob. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. So the governor issued some vetoes today. You and I were talking about them uh, a little bit earlier today. You said you weren't happy. What, what do you see in here? I mean, what, what aren't you happy about?
1: Well, it's hard to it's hard to know where to begin with. I mean, you've got the water commission, you've got the land department, the PERS issue. All right. Well, let's let's take them budget. one at a
0: time. Let's let's start with the water commission. What do you do there?
1: Well, the water commission. We had a couple amendments on that budget. Uh, one of them that would have required the state water commission to budget like all other state agencies. Right now, it's a two line item budget, which is you know if you think about that, it's an eight hundred million dollar budget and that was an attempt to provide transparency and uh, just treat things like every other agency where we'd see the salary line items, the capital projects line item. Well, apparently he doesn't believe uh, that was important, which I find shocking, frankly, uh, when every other agency does that. The biggest one in that entire section, though, is where uh, we designate funding for four buckets, flood protection, rural water, municipal and regional water systems in general water, and we designate certain amounts of money in each of them. We go through the committee hearing process and whatnot. Um, What he did is say that there's no... uh, He basically wants one bucket, which is $300 million, to do whatever he wants to do with it. I think this creates a a huge amount of uncertainty for all water water projects moving forward, most importantly to my district, uh, my community, flood protection. Uh, if he's able to move money around without any input, just freely, I think uh, I mean, it creates a lot of uncertainty, and I think that's a terrible, a terrible veto that he did there. And I would hope we would come back and override that section all, for sure.
0: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday But isn't that what the governor said he wanted was some more flexibility? I mean, he's. You're saying that you created three buckets, for, for, of, buckets of money uh, for three different purposes, and, and the governor, I guess, wanted those three things combined together. But I think his argument would be, well, that gives him more flexibility, and that puts us on a path towards more efficient government and more flexible government. What do you say if that's the rebuttal?
1: Well, that's just simply not true. I mean, these major projects need some certainty, And we took all the testimony, worked with uh, the various entities, and created a four-bucket system, um, which provides plenty of flexibility. All he has to do is come to budget section to get approval and make his case to move money. Now, without that protection, uh, he can simply move money at will. Um, I think it's dangerous, especially with the amount of money and the, the projects that are moving forward and might not they have no idea what they're going to get uh, now because the flood bucket essentially is gone. I mean, he'll yeah. argue that, well, no, I'll still give them that money. But I just think uh, prioritizing the funding in these buckets uh, is a legislative decision, not an executive branch decision.
0: Let's, uh, let's keep moving because you did a lot of stuff. The land department was also something that, that came under veto scrutiny. What, what are your thoughts there?
1: And this is a major, I think this is a major blow to rural North Dakota in particular. Uh, All right, what, million, what, what, did he, what
0: did he do? What did he do?
1: He, he vetoed uh, the section that would have distributed $16 million to non-oil townships, uh, which amounts to 10000 per township. Um, and the, the, the reason we added this in here was because of this, uh, the impact of the snow removal costs and the damage to the roads that have occurred. And uh, they've been left uh, out of some of the money as far as the major, you know, the oil industry, excuse me, the oil-producing counties have got a large portion of it. This was an attempt to bring these uh, uh, townships uh, up to par, uh, albeit it won't do it completely, but just simply eliminating that, I think, is reckless. And uh, I'm very disappointed that he did that, uh, vetoed that $16 million for non-oil townships.
0: What what I mean? What's he? He would probably argue, and I was reading his press release today that this is something. I mean, obviously, the state of North Dakota doesn't have a lot of extra money sitting around. You know that better than anybody else with the legislative session we just went through. His argument would probably be that he's saving some money. How do you respond to that?
1: Well, first of all, some was coming out of the disaster relief fund, which already has money in it, and the SIF fund, which is for strategic investments and improvements. It fits the fund uh, exactly. And that fund will have money in it, even under uh, the current budget uh, scenario. So I just think it's short-sighted to uh, sh- to uh, cut these townships short uh, when there's definitely needs outside of the oil-producing uh, counties uh, going forward. So I just think it was the wrong move. And All right, what about the PERS? Yeah, the I was biggest, just going to ask you PERS, which the, is
0: the, the, the public employee retirement system. What, what, what happened there?
1: Well, he vetoed. Basically what held up our session, and I'm glad it held up our session, frankly, because we got good public policy out of it, and now it's gone with one stroke of the pen. Not once did he uh, provide any input that he didn't like this, uh, didn't provide any other solutions to it, and what this does is eliminate the committee to study it, eliminating the requirement to bid self-insurance. It basically eliminated every piece that was negotiated at the end between the Senate and the House. So this, this I think, is a major blow uh, to to reforming our uh, healthcare care um, delivery and our products that we uh, push out to the 60,000 employees that are covered under this. So um, I don't know. I think this is, uh, I don't know if he's bowing to Sanford Health or what it is here, but self-insurance is a model that's used in all large corporations, including the one that he uh, was working on and well, almost it, all of the state. So to be, yeah, this I, ex, ex, is very ex,
0: short-sighted. Explain for the listeners a little bit more what exactly he did. I mean, what did he do? I mean, you're you're saying that it was something that the House had negotiated at the end. I mean, what, what, what did he prevent from happening?
1: Well, it would create a committee to study health insurance in the interim, which I don't see the problem in that at all. Why would we not want to study uh, the health insurance that's uh, provided to the employees? And then what? The, what the bill also did was section that would require in two years that we'd have to rebid the contract, which it's a it's a two year contract anyway, but it would have to be bid primarily for a ma- or a, a self insured uh, pro- program, which would mean the state would take the risk, and therefore the upside should pre you know should the expenses come in lower than the uh, uh, revenue, so this is a model I. I I can't imagine that he doesn't support this model. Um, And this was an attempt basically the next bid for health insurance for the state of North Dakota would have had to have three pieces to it. What we have now, self-insurance, and then a hybrid plan. And I think just throwing this all out the window uh, just kicks the can down the road for four years now uh, as we've seen skyrocketing premiums. And uh, by doing this, I don't see anything changing.
0: What about the legislative budget? What do you do there?
1: Well, and this was uh, a big issue. Uh, you remember he ran on uh, the budget process is broken, and I agree with that as far as the projection piece to this. And by, let you know, line iteming this piece out, it was the advisory committee that would be put together to help uh, develop the budget. So this one uh, just baffles me, frankly, when this is what he ran on. But yet he doesn't want any input uh, from the legislature or a new look at how the budget process works, uh, I think is uh, is shocking, frankly.
0: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday Just a few minutes left. Higher ed was the was the last issue area that really jumped out at me. That that he uh, he, he he did some some work in. What's 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 going on there?
1: In higher ed, there's uh, you know a number of sections. Some of them mean nothing. There's some intent language he vetoed, some stuff with uh, Dickinson uh, Library. So some of that's not a big deal. But one of the biggest issues I think is Section Six, which basically came from the system office. And it, what we're trying to do here is have a, a different model at looking at capital projects in the space utilization on our campuses, as well as mandatory maintenance reserve accounts, which as you know, uh, our maintenance uh, is a big issue, deferred maintenance is a big issue. So what this section would have done is tighten it up, uh, you'd say basically use the existing space, uh, provide a, bit, a good framework going forward for when new buildings or renovations would have to come online or be permit, submitted to the, to the legislature along with put money away, 3%, if you build a project, therefore, you can fund the maintenance going forward. So this, it's kind of surprising, I guess, but uh, Wahpeton NDSCS is looking at building a building in Fargo, uh, which they do not need. Um, so I think this is probably an attempt to uh, help uh, push that project through, um, is my guess, is the he vetoed that section. But I would hope that the state board would adopt this exact language because, in fact, it came from the system office, which is the state board.
0: Well, Roscoe, that's all the time we got for today. Certainly interesting. Uh, appreciate your time. Yep, take care. Bye. You know, I'm actually working on getting Governor Doug Burgum on the program later this week as well, so we can certainly ask him about some of this. Hopefully he'll have uh, time to fit us in. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. welcome back rob reporter on 970 wday 701 email talk at wday.com just heard from state representative roscoe australia i have the audio of that up at say dot and like i said i am working on uh, getting the governor on the program if not this week then probably next week and we'll certainly talk with him about some of these vetoes that came out and his thoughts about the legislative session and and all that fun stuff. Uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to join us. It's Wednesday, so it's our normal open phone segment. So he's going to join us uh, in, the, uh, in the next segment to talk. But I understand Karen's on the line. He's always got, already got a question for him. Go ahead, Karen. What, what's up?
2: Yes. Does he think that um, pa- passengers need to have a bill of rights for when they're at an airport? And if not, what is his idea?
0: So so a passenger bill of rights. Yeah. You know, I, I'll ask him about that. It's interesting. That is, that is a subject that I wanted to hit on with him because obviously Congress held hearings uh, with the airlines regarding their treatment of passengers. I, and it is a valid. I mean, I understand why people are upset. I mean, the United Airlines thing is obviously a very egregious sort of tip of the iceberg issue but you go beyond that and i think there's a lot of things i mean airline travel is is not fun uh, you know it's it, there's there's nothing fun about it you're treated like cattle and it's it's tough and i, I realize that, that some of it is is security concerns and and maybe there's nothing we could do about it but i think there are i think there are things the airlines can do i, I guess my question is what is government's role uh, you know, should the government be stepping in? I mean, do we create a passenger bill of rights? I, I mean, is that like legislation we should pass where, where the, you know, the airlines have to follow that, that sort of thing. And, and, and what would that, what impact would that have on the price of air travel? Uh, it's, it's not always very affordable. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. I generally, I, I, you know, I, it's a tough question. I, I'm inclined to, to say, you know, if if you don't like the way the airlines are treating you, then, then find a different airline. The problem is, is that there's not really a lot of good ways to shop around because it is. There's just not a lot of options. There, there's no easy answers there, Karen. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the question. And I will certainly ask the congressman about that. Natila, have, have you flown recently? I mean, what, do you fly a lot? Not a lot, but, you know, a, a couple times a year usually. Um Gosh, yeah. I, the last time I flew, I think I I went to Chicago, is where I went. I I don't I don't like to fly. Um, mostly which I I have, I have issues being in big crowds and so I just don't like it. I I don't like I don't like being feeling crowded. I don't like being around big crowds of people and obviously an airport and inside of an airplane is not a good place for somebody like me who has those feelings to be. So, if i if if i can, i drive places. And i think i mean if heck, if you have the time, it's almost it's more fun to drive anyway. You miss so much when you fly. There's so many cool things you could see along the road, but the flying experience is is pretty is pretty god awful. I mean, i i don't know anybody anymore who enjoys flying. When i was a little kid, it used to be fun, right? You go on, you get you get a free pillow, you get a blanket, uh, the food's pretty good. You know, everybody's friendly. It's a lot of fun. And now it's, 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 it's like something out of a dystopian. I, I, I swear, it, because if you look back at the way like like air travel was depicted in like the 40s and 50s and 60s, versus now. It's almost like something out of, like, a dystopian novel, right? Like, like air travel today is what, like, a science fiction writer in the 1960s would write, p- portraying a sort of dystopian future. Or maybe I'm overboard. But that's how it feels to me. Like, I go in there, and I got TSA feeling me up, and then I got the airline people sort of rudely herding me on, and now I'm trapped in a, in a in a tiny seat, you know, and I'm a I'm a big fat guy, so it's not a lot of fun to sit there. And that's that's my fault. That's not the airline's fault. But it's just not fun. I mean, there's nothing fun about it. And it feels like there are things we could do for it to be a secure experience, but then also maybe not be horrible. I don't know what the solutions are. We'll talk with Congressman Kramer about it next. This is the Rob Report on WDAY. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Reporter on 970 WDAY. 701 293 is your call-in number. 888-970-9329. That's the toll-free number. You can email talk at WDAY.com or you can send me tweets as well. It's Wednesday, so that means we've got an open phone segment with Congressman Kevin Kramer. So uh, feel free to call in with any of your comments, any of your questions. And Kevin, before you even got on the air, Karen had a question for you last segment. Uh, she actually wants to talk about these airline hearings that, that Congress has been holding. Uh, you know her question is, do we need like a passenger's bill of rights to to protect passengers in these situations? And I, I mean I think it's I always get a little queasy when, when Congress I mean listen, I'm watching the United Airlines thing uh, and, and some of the and, and as an airline customer, mm-hmm. some things have gone wrong. There are things that I am not happy about with air travel today. That said, is a bunch of grandstanding politicians going to fix that? So Karen's question is, do we need a passenger's bill of rights? My question is, are a bunch of politicians holding a hearing going to fix this?
3: Rob, I think that it's, I think the best regulator of customer service is the customer. And you, you characterized it as grandstanding. These are my friends and my colleagues in many respects, but, but, to be honest with you, I didn't see anything in a hearing that will have nearly the impact on the behavior of the airline like angry customers that are switching their allegiance to another airline will have. And, you know, we the, the airline industry was deregulated a long time ago. I think it, it, the net benefit of that is, um, you know, is competition and it's the you know that that competition actually benefits everybody uh, including um, the passenger you know there are challenges in r- rural places like north dakota where you might not have as much competition but even in in our airports in north dakota we have competition so no i i i i, I didn't like the fact that we even had the hearing it's not on my committee of course it's on the, the uh, transportation and infrastructure committee that, that had it but I, I just think your characterization of grandstanding is appropriate Now, others there's some benefit every now and then to a, to a public um, you know a, a public discipline i suppose but at the end of the day it's the, it's the consumer that will discipline the airline and I think frankly i, I don't think anything could have come out of the hearing i don't think anything can come out of a congressional action that would be more severe than what the airline um already did in response to the, the publicity of that um you know that very unfortunate incident
0: everybody always talks about how the airlines have been deregulated but have they though uh, you know because when i'm going in i mean i'm going through like the tsa i mean the tsa right. agent and i have uh, there aren't many People that I have a more intimate relationship than I do with that TSA agent who's <laughs> who's digging for gold uh, yeah. when I'm when I'm going through security. I mean, are they deregulated? I mean, is there more we could do in on, in in, those, in that regard?
3: Well, traveler safety, you know, is um, it's really obviously it's a it's a priority, um, but it's not it's not the airlines, of course. It's it's the FAA and our airports, of course, are federal. Facilities, by and large, they're federally funded. In many respects, they're, they're managed locally. Of course, they're owned uh, locally, and and, and there state. There's a state aeronautics commission, as well as the Federal Aviation Administration, that works with local authorities on on airport management and airport um, regulation. The TSA, the of course, like I said, is uh, you know that's the federal agency that was created after 9-11-2001. I think it was frankly it was an over a bit of an overreach. It created a very large bureaucracy. Um, I think, you know, we could accomplish some of the same safety improvements without having to create that level of a bureaucracy. That said, um, you know, we we have it now, but it's not really an airline regulation so much as it is, you know, passenger safety regulation. 701-2939000-888-9709329.
0: 701 9000 888 We've got Congressman Kevin Kramer on. You can ask him whatever you want. Uh, email me too, talk at wday.com. Jill emails. She wants to switch to talk about the healthcare, uh, bill, which it's obviously that, that has heated up again. Uh, her question is about pre-existing conditions. She wants to know how, how, how they're defined. Uh, how many are in there? Uh, she, she asks Has the research been done so that informed decisions are being made, not inflamed political rhetoric? What will be defined as pre existing condition? Uh, how will they be determined? Uh, how many people will actually then, based on definition, be assigned to the high risk pool? And what will mm-hmm. the actual cost be? Pretty, sure. pre, yeah, pretty pretty in depth question there.
3: Yeah, right? it is pretty in depth. I mean, the pre existing pre existing conditions under the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as it's better known, um, are guaranteed coverage. Um, the problem is, is that many people that have pre-existing conditions can't afford the care that comes with the coverage. I have a very specific example in my own family where um, one of our young people has uh, diabetes. He has a job. He has a family, um, he two children and a wife, and he can't afford the insulin or he can't afford to go to the doctor in Fargo under his current coverage. So his pre-existing condition, pre-existing condition is theoretically covered because he, he has, he's on the Obamacare exchange but he he has a job, and he doesn't get the the subsidy, and he, he can't afford his medicine and he can't afford his copay and his, and of course um, and all of that so so his deductible is so high that he can't afford to to get sick or get medicine so that is clearly not working in fact it's at the very heart of the problem, and so what our the bill that you know that if we bring it up in the next day or two and it's looking at the moment at least like we might be able to do that um, there there is, we guarantee pre-existing conditions are protected as well in our bill. The difference is how are you going to pay for it, who's going to pay for it. And we're, tr- we're, we're providing an opportunity through a federal risk pool, as well as, you know, incentives to, to uh, states to create risk pools, much like they had before. I mean, North Dakota had a risk pool, a high-risk pool prior to Obamacare, as did Minnesota. Minnesota's worked very well and provided better care, than Obamacare does for pre-existing conditions, and uh, and the difference here is that the the, the federal piece of it um, goes to the risk pool, and then the the market doesn't get warped by um, you know the guarantee of coverage that's too high price for people to afford, or that the 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 the, the uh, cost gets passed on to the rest of uh, the the insured community. So we think we've found a pretty pretty nice sweet spot that has better coverage, better safety net for people with pre-existing conditions who qualify because we, we do not allow, you know, insurance companies to um, discriminate against pre-existing conditions. But at the same time, Rob, our bill requires you to continue your coverage. In other words, you can't game the system by just buying insurance, say, one day every year or two when you have a A need um, that's going to be high cost. You you have to be able. You have to continue your coverage, uh, and then in certain circumstances that you can, um, you know, verify. uh, There would be some exceptions to that. So I think we have the right safety net, the right balance. That well, of all things, Rob has the advantage of actually bringing price down. Actually, brings um, you know insurance premium costs down. Well let me let me ask you a question because I mean that that was
0: sort of what what Obamacare did is it it put in place a penalty for not getting insurance right because right. the both both ideas here are saying okay well we've got to do something about pre-existing conditions so that you can get insurance and not be denied coverage if you have some sort of a, a malady that that you're suffering from before that but the problem with that is is then then it sort of opens the door to people saying well I'm just going to buy insurance when I'm sick Right. And that destroys the whole concept of insurance, which is based on healthy people paying into a pool, which can then be used to provide coverage for people who aren't healthy. So, uh, wh- the way Obamacare addressed that is they said, "Well, we're going to put in place a mandate, and we're going to, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, fine people who don't have coverage." You're saying this does that on the other side, where it it basically, if, if, if you if you if you you have to continue your coverage. Is, is, is that, I mean is, 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 is that is that accurate and what's what's the mechanism for in
3: enforcement there I guess is my question sure so good, good very good question so if you if you have to drop coverage for some reason economic or some catastrophe or some sort you you can do that but you have to get back on coverage within sixty three days if you do not and you want to get back in and have coverage again there is a one time surcharge allowed that the insurance companies allowed to charge you, it's, it would be 30% surcharge of your premium costs, or you know over time, and that would that would incent you to rather rather than get, drop it and pick it up, it incent you to to maintain coverage. So. There's got to be some personal responsibility here and if you take remove all incentive for personal responsibility, of course, uh, you see what you get. You get what Obamacare has done. I mean to just today or yesterday Aetna announced that you know the last four markets there and they'll likely drop next year under the Obamacare exchanges. So so it's 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 both a little bit of a carrot and a little bit of a stick that helps drive some of this discipline to have people um, you know, stay in and, and still provide the safety net. But a much much more cost-effective um, safety net in the you have the federal government providing providing some of the the revenue for the risk pool so that so that this is safe for example and, and by the way it also gives a great deference to governors it, this provides it's more of a federalist policy more of a federalist plan that allows states to um, opt out if they want as long as they provide certification or verify that they have a plan that uses the, the, uses the tools of the federal federal um, government that we provide, whether it's through Medicaid or through these stabilization grants, to create their own risk pool or have some other method to ensure that, that pre-existing conditions are covered. But what it does, the, the federal program does, is it, it maintains it by, by allowing you, there, there are these th- things called invisible um risk sharing so it it provides the the patient if you will the citizen the opportunity to buy insurance in you know in the private market and, and then covers um you know much of the cost beyond um what you know what they could afford um, if, if there was discrimination, if there was a, they were allowed to have price discrimination uh, because of the, the conditions. So it, it's, it's, it's a more, I think it's got more integrity to it, Rob. It's got much more of a market um, approach to it. It's still generous. Do not get me wrong. I mean, for people who just want to return to a free market, um, this still is generous. But we also have to remember, and I think acknowledge this, not since the early 80s, early mid-80s, um, have we not had that? Because since the mid '80s, we've had universal coverage. The, the the only question has always been who's paying for the coverage, and so you've never been able to be denied healthcare uh, for the last you know 40 years or so.
0: Kevin, thank you so much. We're out of time. Appreciate it. We'll talk with you next week.
3: Looking forward to it. Thanks, Rob.
0: That's Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll <coughs> wrap up the show right after this. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Don't go away. Background report, wrapping up the show. Still a couple of minutes if you want to get in with a comment or question. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. You know, something I actually forgot to ask the congressman about this, Nateel, because I actually found that I, I saw his office just as he went off air, just sent out a press release about it. And I actually wrote about it yesterday. But they are naming the USDA. Uh, a, a USDA research center in Fargo after former Governor Ed Schaefer, who, of course, also is, is a sometimes guest host for this show, which is very, very far down the list on his list of, of accomplishments. But um, I don't like it so much. I, I don't like it when we name politi- you know buildings after politicians and everything. I don't know. It always just kind of creeps me out. But that's happening. I wrote about it yesterday on the blog. We got a caller, Jim, who wants to sneak in here at the end. Jim, what's up?
2: Yeah, hi. So, you know, you had that previous uh, uh, legislator on there talking about how they uh, – Yeah, Carter's didn't Kramer. Yeah, they didn't get the $16 million to give the $10, to $10,000 each of these townships out there for snow removal and roads. Oh, 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 and
0: Representative I mean, Straley. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got gotcha.
2: you. Well, you know, maybe he should consider those small townships should start uh, getting their farmers to pay some taxes because, you know what, they don't pay anything in property taxes. They are next to nothing. And that's why those small towns are having such a hard time because their residents aren't paying the damn taxes. But they want everybody else to pay the taxes for them, like the state. You know, it's time for them to pony up and take care of themselves a little bit.
0: I don't know. I think the farm industry would probably argue that they drive a lot of tax revenue for the state.
2: Uh, yeah, but they're not paying their own taxes for themselves, for their own cities, their schools. Because they are, they are exempt from property taxes on their houses, their buildings, their sheds, their quonsets, everything. All yeah. they say is a very small portion on their productive land. And then that gets to be written
0: off, too. You know, that's that's something yesterday we talked with uh, Representative Craig Headland about the property tax issue. And, and the nature of that discussion was the state no longer doing the 12% buy-down, uh, although they did take over the, the social service administrative costs. But there's about a $100 million gap there that the state was picking up for property taxes that they're not going to pick up anymore. And a lot of people are worried that property taxes are going to go up as a result. His response was essentially well you know we need we need better property tax reform at the state but then also the property tax debate needs to take place locally and and I think he's right and I think some of the reform that he's talking about speaks to what you're bringing up Jim is listen taxes should be low and flat and broad which which by, by what I mean is there should be very few exemptions everybody should have some skin in the game but the skin that everybody has in the game should be pretty low.
2: It should be. And, you know, I have a problem. Everybody, if they get rid of these property tax exemptions for farmers, property tax exemptions for new businesses, all this other stuff, everybody's yeah. taxes would be relatively low. But we've got all these special interests in this state who think that they shouldn't have to pay, pay their piece of the pie just because they live in a rural area. I'm my kids to the local well, school. Why the hell should I have to pay for that school? I can get the state to pay for it.
0: I think, I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm getting a message from Patty, who says, uh, tell that guy that we farmers pay enough. Um, well, they don't pay I, 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 think, I think, I think, I think,
2: I don't want a little quarter acre of land, and they do want a thousand acres.
0: Well, I think that they would probably argue that they pay taxes in other ways as well. It is complicated. And I, okay. I do think you have a larger point in that we could look at ways to make the property tax better. We had a debate about eliminating the property tax, and the voters rejected that overwhelmingly. So... Maybe we look at some of the exemptions we give out. Maybe we look at the way property is taxed. Representative Headland yesterday mentioned uh, equalization being a problem, where we're treating uh, say uh, a, 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 a commercial building uh, that's maybe the same size and same purpose. We're we're pretending as though that building located in Fargo versus some tiny rural community is essentially the same sort of property, which is baloney. Obviously, a commercial building near a very populated area like Fargo is probably going to have more value than a a commercial building located in a tiny community, uh, you know, out out in 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 the boonies. So, there are a lot of things. That we could probably well, do. I, I, and, could and it's, what, it's, I could
2: drive up and down the Red River Valley and look at some million-dollar homes, millions of dollars worth of buildings sitting on some of these farmsteads, and not one lick of property taxes going to the local school board well, to help fund their schools.
0: I think it's a debate worth having, Jim, but we're out of time. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. We've also got some reports of small hail coming in in the South Fargo area, so if you're out that direction, make sure you are... Being mindful of what the weather situation is looking like, we will take a full look at your forecast here in just a bit on 970 WDAY.